The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Why don't you uh, open up with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to continue in our study of uh, 1 Peter, and we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, but uh, you can turn to chapter 4 for a moment just as uh, we review a couple of things that uh, we talked about last week while we were together. The last time we were together in 1 Peter, uh, Peter was giving us a wake-up call, giving a wake-up call to the church. And why is Peter giving us this wake-up call? Why was Peter giving them Uh, those of Asia Minor, those who were living here, why was he giving them this wake-up call? Uh, The reason why he was giving a a wake-up call is because the Christians of Asia Minor during this time were beginning to settle down in this current condition, uh, beginning to, to settle down and make a home in Babylon. Instead of recognizing this world as a temporary residence, they imagined that, you know, if the world sees that we're not a threat, that we're responsible citizens, hard workers, faithful marriage partners, uh, that we're seeking to do good, that, that maybe this world can be our home. But that's not the world that we live in, not then and not now. This world is not our home, and we shouldn't be surprised when the world turns the heat up on the believer. And like I mentioned last time, if we're going to stand firm, as Peter's been encouraging these believers to do, we can't forget that we're living in enemy territory and that it's been that way since the fall. But I'm convinced that we have a church that's full of sleepy believers, believers who, uh, like the Christians of, of Peter's day, have put their guards down and they've become clueless to what's going on all around them. And there are many of us who don't expect persecution. We found a comfortable place in our society. We just assume that our neighbors will respect us, that our employers will be reasonable with us, that our government is here to protect us. And we've forgotten that we live in the same world that crucified our Savior, that killed the apostles, and that still sits in the lap of the evil one, as the scripture says. And in chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, Peter was giving these believers in Asia Minor some very necessary and practical advice about Christian suffering, uh, which is a very timely word for us in the culture that we find ourselves in. And just to remind you quickly of uh, what we covered the last time we were together, in verse 12, we were told that we are to expect suffering. Verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised at it. Expect it. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. And I reminded you that that word uh, strange uh, and do not be surprised actually, the, the word for do not be surprised is the, from the word zenidzo, uh, where we get our English word xenophobia, you know, the fear of strangers. Peter was saying don't, don't look at the fiery furnace of persecution like it's some foreign invader, some unknown stranger. The trials that we experience in this life uh, for living as believers should be expected. Don't be surprised by that. It's not foreign to you. Number two, you're to exult in your suffering. In verse 13, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. That word exultation uh, that's used in the same verse means to greatly rejoice, to to rejoice with glory. And we can rejoice in our suffering now because as Romans 8 chapter, uh, chapter 8 and verse 18 says, the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Uh, to us. There's coming a time uh, when all of the suffering that we experience on this life will be rewarded in eternity. So we can rejoice now. In uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, be glad in that day and leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. We can look forward to that and we can even rejoice in that even now. Number three, you're to embrace your suffering. In verse 14, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You're to embrace that suffering as a blessing. Consider it joy. Consider the rejection, the ridicule, the isolation, the slander, the public shame for the name of Christ. Consider that a blessing from God. You are blessed. You you might not think of it as a blessing. That's not typically how we we think of uh, blessings, but, but this is what the scripture says. Do we believe ourselves or do we believe by faith that what God says is true? No, no, you are blessed. No, you you might feel cursed, but what does Scripture say? You are blessed. And why should I consider it a blessing? The end of uh, verse 14 says, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The, The blessing of God's presence is promised to those who are willing to stand up and do what's right, even if they suffer for it. And that the the spirit of God will make himself known to you during those moments of persecution. That I can draw near and that the spirit of God draws near to me during those times when I'm willing to take a stand for the truth. You're to embrace your suffering as a blessing of God. Number four, you're to examine your suffering. Examine your suffering. Verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a troublesome meddler. You know, there's a certain kind of suffering that you should be ashamed about, disgraceful to suffer for evil. You know, if you sin and you're harshly treated for it, uh, don't claim that I'm suffering for Christ. Just, just look at that persecution that I've received for the name of Christ. You know, because I, I stole some time on my job while I was having a Bible study. But I'm suffering for Christ. No, you're not. You're, you're suffering because of uh, your own foolishness is what you're suffering for. That's not for Christ in that moment. You're suffering in connection with Jesus Christ. That's something totally different. I'm not suffering for my own evil deeds, but I'm suffering for my association with the name, the name of Jesus Christ. I'm to to consider it worthy, that, 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 that there's something worthy about suffering for the shame of the name of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 5 verse 41 speaks about the apostles after they left the Jewish council, that they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. It's an honorable suffering. And then lastly, we're to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator in suffering. Verse 19 makes that clear. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Verses 17 and 19 remind us that suffering for Christ is is part of a separating judgment of God, that that God makes believers known through persecution, that that the believers are those who are willing to stand up even during times of persecution because they can't take themselves or remove themselves from my connection to Christ. I'm I'm attached to him. I, I just, I can't turn away from him. You know, I've decided to follow Jesus as the hymn says, no turning back, no turning back. It's because he's laid hold on me. And in that suffering, it's made known who the true believers are. Who are those who are willing to stand up for the sake of Jesus Christ? So there is a purpose behind the fiery ordeal of suffering. 
It's like the, the crucible that's heated up to determine what's real gold and what is not. You know, the, the, the gold rises to the surface and the, the lead drops to the, to the bottom. The, the gold uh, makes a, uh, really reveals that the rising of the gold reveals who the imposters are. You know, there, there's something that's inside this crucible that is not gold, that doesn't have true faith. Have you considered that your suffering actually identifies you as part of the family of God, as belonging to him, that I'm, I'm a genuine believer because of what, what I've been able to endure and also, do you consider whose hands you're in during that process? That I'm in the hands of a faithful creator. The same God who created the heavens and the earth stretched them out. The one who, who by the word of, of his mouth, all the hosts were made. Acts 17, 25 says it's this God who gives to all people life and breath and all things. And that word entrust is, is used of someone who entrusted their money or valuables to someone for safekeeping. And who could you trust yourself to that is more wise, that is more faithful, that is more powerful than God? The one who's been running this universe since the beginning. Is, is he faithful? Is he worthy of, of your trust? The, the creator in uh, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, it says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Paul says, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. There's that, uh, that old hymn that says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He is worthy of our trust and he will hold your soul. <laughs> He's the one who holds us fast, amen. And that's where we ended last time. We were in 1 Peter. We're to expect suffering exult in our suffering, embrace our suffering, examine our suffering, and entrust God with our suffering. And as we turn our attention to chapter 5, Peter turns the corner here. And uh, chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, therefore, which is, is a word that basically says, based on all that I've just said, based on all that, that's just come before this, therefore, based on all that, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. That's, that's the main command there. Shepherd the flock of God. Everything else hangs off that command to shepherd and you may be scratching your head at this point and wondering, you know, how, how do we turn from suffering to shepherding? You know, it seems like a, like a hard right. How do we get where we are from where we were? What does shepherding have to do with suffering? I'm glad you asked that question. How about this? Suffering for righteousness is the occupational hazard of the shepherd. Suffering for righteousness is the occupational hazard of the shepherd. And there's no way that you can prove yourself to be an example to your flock, to follow the example of the chief shepherd who also suffered if you're not willing to share the sufferings of Jesus Christ, for, for shepherds, for those who would lead the flock, for them to shirk, to turn away from suffering is to deny and, and really reject the privilege and responsibility that you've been given as a shepherd. It's an occupational hazard of the ministry. And if it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God, what better place to begin that judgment than with the shepherds of the flock of God. In Ezekiel chapter 9, there was a, a judgment that began in the midst of Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, You shall start from my sanctuary, start from my house, 
And then listen what it goes on to say. So they started with the elders. <laughs> they started with the elders who were before the temple. This is a, a, a word primarily for shepherds of the flock. But since there are to be examples to the rest of the congregation, this is a word for all of us to follow so you can't tune out. This is, I'm not just up here preaching to myself, okay? This is for everybody. Everybody is to follow uh, the example of what we find in here. So let's jump in into the exhortation. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this Sunday as we always do, Lord, asking for your help. My Father, you know we need you. My Father, we recognize and acknowledge before you that we need you, that we need you to understand what's been written here, what's contained here in your word. My Father, I pray that you would open it up to us, help us to, uh, to understand and apply these things to our lives. And Father, I pray that you'd use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Safety has never been the number one priority of the ministry. Ministry has always been a dangerous calling. And suffering, like I said, is an occupational hazard of shepherding. And the same could really be said about the, the Christian life. Uh, when, when you become a, a Christian, there's no way around the difficulties. You know, all those who desire to live godly will face persecution. That, that's part of the package. You know, when, when uh, you have that package of Christianity on the packing slip, one of those uh, contents of the box is suffering. When, when you get that box and you open it up, suffering is in it. As, as you, you kind of look through the other blessings of salvation, but one of those blessings is also suffering. And we have to learn to embrace this as part of the Christian experience. Why don't you flip back to 2 Timothy just real quick. Uh, because this is one of the lessons that Paul was trying to pass along to Timothy as the time for his own departure came upon him. Look at uh, 2 Timothy. Why don't you start at, at chapter 1, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Like I said, this was a, a lesson that, that Timothy had to learn, and he learned it from Paul. 2 Timothy 1, look at verse 8. Paul says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. He says, Timothy, why don't, why don't you join me? <laughs> don't, don't stay outside the water. I mean, jump in. Jump in. The water's fine. It's okay. Join with me in suffering. Look at chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Paul says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. If you're going to be a good soldier, if you're going to be a faithful soldier, what are you going to have to do? What are you going to have to endure? You're going to have to endure suffering. It's, it's part of the, the job description for the believer. You, you can't avoid this, Timothy. Flip over to chapter 3. Look at verse 12. And I quoted it earlier. Actually, I'll, I'll start at verse 10. It says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. 
Such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Timothy, you can't escape it. You, you can't get away from it. You can't be timid, Timothy. You know, Tim, Timothy was known for timidity, right? Over in uh, Second uh, uh, Timothy 1 and verse 7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Why do you think Paul said that? Because, Timothy, you're being timid. You're shying away from this. If you're going to be a good soldier, you have to embrace it. You can't stay away from suffering. You might as well embrace it. Join with me in suffering. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And how was Timothy to join Paul in suffering? The way Timothy would join Paul in suffering was simply by doing what was right. That's all you got to do to join the suffering. Just, just stand up for what's right. Just do what's right and you'll be a participant. We don't seek out suffering. That's not who we are as Christians. We're not running around saying, somebody persecute me, please. I want that blessing. No, that's not what we're doing. All we're doing is trying to be faithful to God and the suffering comes, the persecution comes. That's all. And as elders, we're not immune to the trials and testing and the suffering, even the persecutions that are introduced here. In fact, it, it would have been the expectation that if suffering was to break out against the church, where do you think it would begin? With the elders. <laughs> With the elders. The elders would receive the brunt of the attack first in line. You know, the, the uh, first military targets are the, the leaders, aren't they? You go after the leaders. I mean, why, why, why do they lock up James Coates up in Canada for opening up his church? Why do they go after the pastor? Why do they just find an usher, you know, at the front door and say, hey, you, what are you opening the door for? You know, we're going to haul you off to jail. You know, that's not what they do. They go after the pastor. Why? Because that's an example to everybody. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That's, that's, the, that's the goal here. He's the pastor. If you can strike the shepherd, you can scatter the sheep. So, Peter knows that if there's going to be a fiery ordeal, then the fire will be the hottest for the shepherds. So the elders need to be exhorted because they have the task of providing help, comfort, strength, guidance for others. They'll be expected to provide oversight during times of difficulty, and they're also to be the example that others will follow, so they have to be properly motivated. So how does Peter do this? Number one, Peter exhorts the elders. We learn how Peter exhorts the elders in verse 1. We learn what Peter exhorts the elders in verse 2, the first part of verse 2. We learn the way to follow that exhortation in the second part of verse 2 and in verse 3. And then we also learn the results of following that exhortation. And we'll look at each one of these. But the first observation that I want to make, and it's an obvious one, but an important one, elders are exhorted. <laughs> Shepherds are sheep too. Just because a pastor is given a specific role within a church doesn't mean that he's been transformed into something other than a sheep. You're still a sheep. <laughs> and, and once I no longer see myself as a sheep, I'm no longer qualified and fit to be a shepherd uh, because I sit underneath the word of God just like everybody else. Every elder of this church sits underneath the word of God just like everybody else. So here we have shepherds being shepherded, <laughs> elders being exhorted. Second uh, Samuel chapter, uh, verse, uh, chapter 5 uh, spoke of, of David and his role as king over Israel. 
And uh, his role of, of leadership was described as shepherding. David was described as a shepherd over Israel. Second Samuel 5 and verse 2 says, you will shepherd my people Israel. But then David turns around in Psalm 23 and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> I'm a shepherd, but I also need a shepherd. David might have the role of shepherd, but he always saw himself as a sheep. And this is what Peter's doing in this letter. He's not defining the elders as like, no, you're, you're sheep too. You know, all the things that, you know, sometimes pastors write about sheep. Oh, you know, sheep are like this and sheep are like that. They need to be led. Well, and that's you. <laughs> that's you too. You know, talk about all oh, these, these sheep, you know, the, uh, sheep are dumb. Did you know that? That's you. <laughs> that's you. Be careful what you, what you say, right? Uh, that's the boomerang that comes back, you know. No, that's you. You need to be shepherded. You are a sheep as well. And what Peter is doing here in this letter as he's coming alongside of these shepherds, uh, the, the word exhort, power, kaleo, you know, to come alongside and call, you know, to exhort, to encourage alongside of, to call alongside of. He's coming alongside of these elders across Asia Minor to shepherd them through this exhortation. And first, we learn how he exhorts them, this humble exhortation. Look again at verse 1 back in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. There's uh, three ways that Peter identifies himself. He identifies himself as an elder, as a witness, and as a partaker. Number one, he exhorts them as one who is a fellow elder. Fellow elder. As one who is with them, I'm with you in the trenches. I understand the battle. I understand the battle that you face because I'm in it with you. I'm not just, you know, kind of flying overhead and telling you, hey, watch out over there, there's danger. No, no, I'm in with you in the trenches. He doesn't address them as a superior, but as a partner. And if there was anywhere that, you know, you might expect, you know, Peter to kind of, you know, throw his weight around and, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the apostle. You know, actually, I, did you know he called me first? Like, I was like the first apostle? You know, not the first to be called, but I had like a, a priority even over the other apostles. But he doesn't do that here. If there's, there's anywhere you might expect him to call himself the Pope, you know, maybe he might be here. But that's not how he exhorts these men. I'm coming to you as a, as a partner, as a fellow elder. I'm urging you, alongside of you. If he was to urge them as an apostle, he might assume that he was exempt. But he says, no, I'm, I, I fall underneath the same exhortation that I'm giving to you. And as a fellow elder, Peter bore suffering for the sake of the name. He bore suffering along with the elders. Acts chapter 4, verse 3, he was arrested. Chapter 4, verse 21, he was threatened. Chapter 5, verse 18, he was imprisoned. Chapter 5, verse 40, he was beaten. Flip over to Acts chapter 12 just to show you another, another example of uh, Peter experiencing the, the same sufferings that he's calling these elders to submit themselves to Acts chapter 12, start at verse 1. Here's uh, Peter's imprisoned, and this is imprisonment with the intention to execute. Look at verse 1 of uh, chapter 12. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Oh, you like that? You, you, you like that I, I beheaded James? Hey, let's see what else I can do. Takes Peter also. 
Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. And uh, in the ellipsis, what's not communicated, was it was with the intention to kill him. I mean, he's doing this to, to try to please and satisfy the people. His intent was to kill. This is what Peter suffered. Peter, Peter was one who was right alongside of the elders. I'm, I'm experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing. And then tradition says that he became an example even in his death, crucified under Nero, but before his crucifixion, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his own wife. Eusebius, the historian, writes this in his ecclesiastical history. He says that he, Peter, stood at the foot of his wife's cross and kept repeating to her, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. Imagine watching your wife crucified and you have to sit there and watch the whole thing take place. And what's his exhortation? Trust in the Lord. Remember the Lord. And then after she had died, so they waited until it was finished, he himself was crucified and pleaded to be crucified upside down because he was unworthy to die like his Lord. Peter knew what he was calling these leaders to do. It's a dangerous calling. (laughs) occupational hazard to be in the the ministry. But I know what I'm asking you to do because I'm willing to suffer the same fate. Peter was a fellow elder, an example. And that's what the term elder signified. The pastor emphasizes the duty to to feed the flock. Overseer or bishop emphasizes the duty to, to care for and watch over the flock. But that term elder emphasizes the maturity and example of the leader of the flock. I'm here to be an example to you, to be a mature example. That's what that term elder signified. And what Peter's saying is I was right alongside of you as a mature example for the rest of the flock. What are elders to be? They're to be examples to the flock. They're to be mature examples to the flock and willing to take on suffering for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that he proved himself to be a worthy example was by suffering. Over in uh, John 10, it describes the, the difference between the, uh, the real shepherd and the hired hand. You know, the, the hired hand was the, the, the day laborer. You know, he's, he's in it for the money. You know, it's the, the word for hired hand is uh, misthotas. It was the, the word used for a day laborer. He didn't really have a, a vested interest in the sheep. He was just in it for the money. John 10, verse 12 says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who's not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. But Peter proved himself to be a true shepherd, true example, that he was, he was willing to, to stand firm even in the face of suffering and persecution. And you know what? That's an example for all of us to follow. Are, are, are you willing to stand in the day of adversity? When things get tough, when you, when you know that there's danger ahead, are you going to pull over to the side of the road, <laughs> make a U-turn, turn the other way? Or do you say, no, this is, this is just faithfulness to Christ. I, I can't turn back. I can't do anything else. I, I need to be faithful to him. Not only was Peter a mature example, he's also an eyewitness of what? The sufferings of Christ is what he says. I was an eyewitness of the sufferings of, of Christ. This came from a personal observation back in 1 Peter chapter 5 again. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. I'm right alongside of you. I'm with you. And witness of the sufferings of Christ. 
And some people might object, you know, did, did Peter really see the, the sufferings of, of Christ? You know, I, I thought he, uh, you know, kind of went off and, and hid with the, the rest of the disciples who scattered. But you got to keep in mind that uh, even though we know that it was only John who came to the cross uh, with Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, uh, Peter and some of the, the women could have witnessed it from afar. He didn't come close, but he could have witnessed it from afar. And we do know that Peter, uh, over the course of Jesus' ministry, that he witnessed the rejection of the religious leaders, alienation from his family, the plots to take Jesus' life, the agony in the garden, the sweat like drops of blood, the betrayal of Judas, the Jewish court that spit in his face and beat Jesus with their fists. Peter was there for all of that. He saw the sufferings of Christ. And after the resurrection, he saw the nail prints in his hands and his feet. There's no question that he witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He saw the chief shepherd suffer. And that suffering became an example for Peter. Over in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, you want to flip over there, look at chapter 2 and verse 21. Peter says here, for you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? (laughs) what's, What's the purpose here? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And would you notice that uh, verse 21 says that you were called to this? You've been called to this purpose? (laughs) You know, that's one that you might want the voicemail to pick up, right? (laughs) You know, you've been called for this purpose, to suffer. One uh, commentator points out that this assured the readers that life was not some haphazard sequence of unrelated events. God had a plan and was carrying it out in the lives of his followers. And just like the suffering of Christ was ordained by God, there will be suffering that is ordained for us as believers. It's part of our Christian calling to suffer even unjustly. It's part of the call. We can trace our lives around Jesus Christ because he's the pattern. That that word there that's used in uh, uh, verse 21, uh, that Christ has left you an example, uh, that's the the word hupogramas. It's the uh, uh, gramas means to write. We get our, our English word grammar from that, that same word. And hoopa means under. So it's underwriting. And if you remember, uh, maybe uh, back in elementary school, you know, sometimes your, your teachers would make you practice your letters. Maybe they dot it out, you know, dot out the A, dot out the B. And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to write over what they have written under. You know, so they've provided the example for you to follow. And it's in the same way we trace our lives around the example of Jesus Christ. You know, that's how he did it? Okay, I'm going to follow that pattern. That's how you make your A. This is how you make your B. And this is how I suffer. I look at Christ as the example, and I follow my life around his life. That's the the phrase here. Peter reminds these elders, I've seen it. (laughs) I've seen it. I've witnessed his suffering. That's what I'm bearing witness to. And you're also to follow his example of suffering. I'm a witness. That, that word uh, for witness is martus. It was eventually used for somebody who would be willing to witness, bear witness for something, even at the expense of their life. We get our, our, our word martyr from that. And Peter says, I'm, I'm, I'm a witness. I'm bearing witness to the suffering of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you that you need to pattern your life after his. And number three, he says that he's a partaker of the future glory. Look again at uh, chapter five. He says, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. I'm a partaker of future glory. And the way that this is uh, written in the original emphasizes the glory that's to be revealed. Instead of Peter saying, I'm a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. In the original, he says, I'm also an about to be revealed glory partaker. 
Like the, the revealed glory is what's up front. I'm, I'm an about to be glory revealed partaker. Like the, the glory is what is up front emphasized in his mind. And if you remember, Peter caught a small foretaste of what that future glory would be. Three, three places in the, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He says there, there's some who are standing right here who will not taste death until they see the coming of the Son of Man in his kingdom. He says it in Matthew 16, Mark 9, Luke 9. And in each gospel account, what follows immediately after is the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration. This is where Christ revealed his kingdom glory to the disciples. He took three up on the mountain and revealed his kingdom glory to them. And guess who was there to get a sneak peek of that glory that was about to be revealed? Peter. And Peter lets us know that that glory, that about to be revealed glory, that I am a future partaker of that that some of that is going to belong to me, that I will reflect that glory in the day when Jesus Christ comes back, that future glory, the revelation of his glory. Over in uh, chapter 4 and verse 13 in First Peter, he says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. There's coming a time when his glory is revealed that we will be revealed with him. And we'll participate in that glory in that second coming. It's the day when Christ will be revealed for who he is and we will be revealed for who we are. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 says, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed with his mighty angels in flaming fire. It's that future day when the Son of Man returns. That's the day of the great reversal when all suffering is turned to glory. Like a second Corinthians 4 verse 17 says, a Momentary light affliction is producing for us what? An eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. You, you cannot even imagine the glory that's waiting on the other side for those who are faithful now. It's worth it. It is worth it to stand and to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. What kind of encouragement would this have been to the leaders who are under the threat of persecution? Peter's saying, listen, listen, you, you may receive the brunt of the suffering and the persecution now, but don't forget that you're also going to receive the brunt of the glory in the future. It's, it's worth it. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stand firm for the name of Jesus Christ. That's point number one. I don't know if I'm going to cover all this. <laughs> number two, what did Peter exhort the elders to do? Look at uh, uh, verse two. So we know how he encouraged them. We know how he exhorted them. But what was the specific exhortation? You know, therefore I exhort the elders among you, what? He doesn't get to it until verse two. This is where he gets to that exhortation. What did he exhort them to do? Shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock. Primary responsibility of the shepherd is to feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. <laughs> you, you don't let the sheep straggle and wither away. You feed the sheep. And what do you feed the sheep? It's the, the word of God. Woe be to the pastor who does not feed the sheep the word of God. You do not get up here and give your opinions. You don't get up here and give your advice. You don't get up here and just tell a lot of funny stories and jokes for people. You get up and you give them the word of God because what? That's what's going to feed the sheep. 
Feed the, the sheep. So many pastors just totally turn away from their responsibility. Flip over to, to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. If you uh, remember, Jesus told his disciples to wait. And instead of waiting, Peter took the disciples fishing. And it's while he was on the, the water that uh, somebody showed up. <laughs> John chapter 21. Look down at uh, verse 14. John chapter 21. Look at verse 14. Actually, I'll start at verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to, ask, ventured to question him, who are you? They already knew who he was, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. Now this is the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's a, the question about, about what the these referred to. You know, is the, the these more than these disciples? You know, you, you proclaimed, you know, how everybody else will deny you, but not me, I'm the rock. The rock is not gonna deny you. Do you, do you really love me more than these now, Simon? <laughs> You know, you went back to, to fishing instead of being obedient to what I called you to do, to wait. Or it could be, do you love me more than, than this occupation, what you went back to? Do you love me more than that? Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, I mean, you can just feel the agony of the question. Do you love me? And uh, if you look at it in the Greek, the first two times he asked him, do you love me? With the, uh, the kind of fullest term for love, agape. Do you love me with the deepest kind of love, the most unconditional type of love? And Peter responded, well, Lord, you know that I phileo you like a friend. I have a friendly love towards you, Lord. You know that I, I think well of you. <laughs> you. You know that I'm there for you, Lord. I, I'm in support of, of you. But I, I don't know if I can raise up to that level of that agape love. I mean, look, look what I'm doing out here. Do you, do you love me, Peter? And Peter responds, well, you know that I, I love you like a friend. Peter, do you, do you love me? Again, the highest form of love. Lord, you, you know that I have a fond affection for you. And then the third time Jesus asked, do you love me? He says, do you phileo me? Do you even love me like a friend, Peter? Devastating. Not only that it's the third time that he's questioning him, but the third time that he asked the question, it's like he, he drops down to Peter's use of the word love. Do you even love me like that, Peter? And at this point, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. If, if shepherds have any love for the Lord, they're going to be busy tending the sheep of God. They're going to be feeding them, shepherding them. Verse 16 uses the word for shepherd, parallel in verses 15 and 17. And uses the word bosco there in verses 15 and 17, which is the word to feed. Feed them. Tend to them and feed them. That's the primary duty of the, the shepherd. Feed the sheep. 
But shepherding is broad enough to include all the duties of, of shepherding. Guiding, guarding, feeding, gathering. As the Lord taught us in John chapter 10, the good shepherd lays down his life, sacrificing yourself for the sheep. Stay and fight. It's the flock of God. This is the flock that's purchased by the blood of God. And if you have a love for Christ and a love for a sacrifice, you're going to tend to the lambs, tend to the sheep, and realize that ultimately the sheep do not belong to you. <laughs> I, I think there, there's too many pastors that think that their flocks belong to them. This is my flock, my congregation, my people. No, those people don't belong to you. Those people belong to the Lord. Ultimately, it belongs to the Lord, and you'll have to give an account for it on that day, that day when the shepherd appears, the, the chief shepherd appears. You'll have to give an account for those sheep. There's a Spurgeon who's talking to a young minister, a young preacher. He said, my congregation is too small. A lot of times you go to conferences, and you know, eventually they'll get around to the question, and how, how, how many members do you have at your church? <laughs> you know, it's always the, the question eventually they get around to it. Oh, how many, how many do you have, you know? You know, sometimes they're hoping that you're not saying too many because, you know, they feel like they're showing up or something. Or sometimes they, they have more members and it's like, well, you know, my congregation, you know, the Lord has blessed us with, you know. Spurgeon said to this young preacher who was saying, you know, my congregation is just too small. <laughs> congregation is too small. Spurgeon replied, well, maybe they're as large as you'd like to give an account for on the day of judgment. <laughs> You know, maybe you'd hope for a little less on the day of, of judgment, knowing that you have to give an account for all of those sheep. That's one of the reasons that satellite churches don't work, satellite campuses. You know, I've got this worldwide international ministry, you know. Are, are you responsible for the worldwide international ministry, everybody that tunes in? You know, I, that's, I, that's a member. You know, you donated one time to my website, so you're, you're one of my members. No, don't, don't give me that. <laughs> Don't, don't give me that. I, I, need to, I need to know you, have some kind of relationship with you to, to make sure that I'm going to be accountable for you on the day of, of judgment. How do you shepherd someone that you don't know? How do you shepherd somebody from a screen? Shepherds need to be among their people. Among their people. Shepherd the flock of God where? Among you. Among you. I exhort the elders, among you. Shepherd the flock of God, among you. The phrase speaks of location. That's why off-site elders doesn't work. There needs to be shepherds with personal observation of the sheep, as well as the sheep's personal observation of who? The shepherd. Because how am I supposed to be an example to you if you never see me? Right? I, I need to be an example to you. How do you know if I'm really going to stand up and suffer for Christ if you never see it? You need to see something. Like there's an example of the shepherd to the sheep. And there's an accountability that the sheep have towards the shepherd. It goes both ways. The shepherd is to personally watch over the sheep. Uh, the word for oversight that's used back in 1 Peter 5, you know, to give oversight, exercising oversight. Episcopo is uh, where we get our word uh, episcopal from. It's uh, sometimes translated by the word bishop. It means to oversee, to look over, to inspect. It should not be the pastor's job to mind your own business. <laughs> It's not, not the pastor's job to, to mind. Just stick to preaching, you know. You ever heard that old phrase? You know, you've, you've gone from preaching to meddling. You know, getting in my business. You know, just, just stick to preaching, you know. We, we, I need a good word, but I don't need you knowing what's going on in my life. That, that's not shepherding. That's not shepherding. We, we need to do a little meddling. <laughs> 
we, we might need to do some more meddling. <laughs> meddling. Should be aware of what's going on in the church, in the ministries of the church, aware of how people are doing spiritually. How are you doing? How can I be praying for you? Should not be the pastor's job to just, you know, hey, just, just stick to your office and stick to the books, but don't, don't, don't get in my life. And there are people who obviously cross their boundaries, you know, uh, in shepherding, you know, the shepherding movements and things like that in the past where, you know, the pastor wanted to know in detail everything. That's, that's not my job to know everything. But I should be able to give some kind of answer for how you're doing spiritually, right? Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for who? For you. <laughs> it would be unprofitable for you if you don't have a respect for leaders, a submission towards leaders. And especially during times of persecution, it would have been particularly important for a shepherd to have a good idea of how the people were doing under attack. How are the people doing? And I think I'm probably going to leave the rest of this until next time. I'm going to leave the rest. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave it until next time. But I will say uh, just, uh, just quickly that as uh, shepherds, uh, like I said, God has called us to be an example to the flock. There's a connection between verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, and what proceeded in First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 12, down to, to 19. There is a, a connection here. Shepherds are to be able, willing to stand up and take the hit for the sheep, for the church, that I'm willing to stand up and be an example. And like I said, this is what we're all called to be. You need to examine your own life. The, 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 the circles of influence that, that you have. Fathers, are, are you being an example to your children? Do, do your children see you uh, kind of shading the truth a little bit when it's uh, to benefit you? Do, do your uh, children uh, see you back away from difficult conversations when people ask, you know, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And do you, your kids see you back away from that? conversation because like I, I don't want to I don't you know I don't want to, to jump into the fire it's dangerous to open up and share what I really believe what what do your children see you doing those who are here in the in the church you know with your brothers and sisters in Christ you know in the times when you're together if there's a, an opportunity to, to make a stand for Jesus Christ uh, do we turn away from that do we back away from difficult conversations, dangerous conversations, where people want to know what we really believe as believers? How do we respond when we see other people take a stand for the truth? <laughs> when, when we see somebody that's bold and just stands up and tells it like it is, do you cringe on the inside? It's like, no, not, not now. Not like that. You're just too, just too much. Just too much. Yeah, I, I believe that, but like, no, not, not in this context like that. Or, or do you stand up and say, you know what, amen. Amen, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I stand in agreement with you because what you're saying is true. What you're saying is right. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're living in a culture where it's getting increasingly difficult to just stand up and say what we always believed. At this point, just standing up and saying, you know what, I just want to read Romans chapter 1 to you. I mean, that's like an offense. 
are, are, you, are you at all, I want to ask you to lift your hand up, are you at all ashamed of anything that's written in this book? When, when this book is proclaimed, when it tells it like it is, are, are you ashamed of what this book says? You know, there's, there's some of those things in the Old Testament, I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure how to explain that. Well, you don't have to know how to explain it all, but do you believe it all? <laughs> Do you believe it is what it is? That this is God's word, his inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. And that I am willing to stake my life on this. To live and die by this book. Because this is God's word for me. Are you willing to stand on the word of God? (laughs) B-I-B-L-E, right? That's the book for me. Is it really? (laughs) I stand upon the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Is that what you're standing upon today? Let's stand on the scriptures, amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for uh, this time that we've had together. Now, Father, I pray that you'd uh, allow your word to sink deeply within our hearts. Fill us with your word. Help us to be saturated, scripture-saturated saints. (laughs) Now, Father, that we would allow the word of God to dwell richly in us. And, Father, I pray that our love for Christ would be evident now, Father, that uh, when people see us, when our family members see us, when our friends, coworkers see us, neighbors see us, Lord, that they would know that, that, that we stand on the scriptures, and that we don't back away from what God has said, that we have a love for Jesus Christ, that we're not ashamed to be called by the name. And uh, Father, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be honored. And Father, I pray that you would give us leaders in this church, that you would raise up leaders in this church who are willing to stake their lives on what thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.